0: Hi, guys. Welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and we have Brian with us today. So, guys, thank you long for thank you for being along for the ride. There we go. <laughs> uh, audio listeners, welcome, all of you. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the notification bell, and don't forget to like that and comment to help the algorithm a little bit. Uh, I think we have a large audio audience. We don't have a lot of video. And if you want to just help contribute to the channel or just the, the Church Split and you don't want to be a patron... Just watch our YouTube and it'll help us make a little bit of money to help cover some of this stuff. And speaking of covering stuff and patrons, I want to give a huge shout out to all our patrons. We actually, uh, kind of spiked in the last couple months, and it allowed us to buy this screen that's in front of us. There's probably even a glow from it now. It's so much bigger. <laughs> you all don't know, but we were working off this tiny little screen when we were doing rebuttals and whatnot that we'd had to squint at, lean forward to see, and really kind of – it was hard to engage that way, just the way the room is set up and the only way we can really set up the room. Uh, now, because of patrons, we're able to buy a gigantic screen that allows us to see ourselves.
1: And to see what the heck we're talking about. I think you can even see it in the the Reeves rebuttal. Like you're like leaning way over the desk to try to read. Yeah, like there's a one tweet. part where I'm like,
0: like hanging over the desk just to be like, what does it say? Yeah. So anyway, guys, thank you. That's awesome. The next uh, quality of life improvement for us will be less something that uh, helps affect the show and be more of something that helps affect our butts. <laughs> we're gonna buy new or chairs. Backs, yes. Uh, dude, yeah, because we're using cheap fold out chairs. So <laughs> these things are not easy on the body when you're doing long episodes so anyway uh thank you all for being along i really appreciate you all hope our ministry here is a blessing to you but you know what we do here we we help you escape your church's echo chamber or we help you think biblically that is crucial and we also challenge the status quo and it's funny because when people think we're uh, challenging the status quo they think that is we're doing this to be edgy against, like, maybe the really conservative crowds, right? Because mm-hmm. we talk about alcohol, and we'll purposely drink a beer on the channel, not just because to trigger people, but because we enjoy it. Uh, today, speaking of drinking beer on the channel, <laughs> we had one of the funniest comments. Brian, yeah, you want to talk about that? You yeah, we had, had someone. We could
1: tell them they were, they were binging the channel, and we were seeing them comment, like, all through the weekend. Video, and then,
0: video, video. One after and video. then
1: it stopped. We got the, the last comment that said, okay, I really like the channel, but – I watched this video and I just can't anymore because you guys are drinking beer on the channel. And they were saying that how they understood this wasn't a sin, but this was still something we had to repent for and uh, that we needed to stop right now because we weren't taking the Bible seriously. And that it was disrespectful to the Bible to drink a beer by it. And that they could definitely tell towards... From the beginning to the end of the episode, that <laughs> we were changing. I was like, "Oh, you're insinuating that we were, we were becoming under the influence." I was like, "No, we were both really tired because I think we filmed it at like 10:30 at night after working a full day. So uh, we were definitely changed, but we were just tired." <laughs> yeah, we were
0: t- and actually, I'm gonna say we do our best work when we're exhausted. Not because uh, you know it makes us use our brain power more, but because our filters disappear more and more. Yeah, we just don't care. Yeah, and so we just <laughs> stop caring, and it just turns into spitfire. Yeah. So those are that's when we do our best work. In fact, today I know Brian and I both worked a full day. I worked an, a, an hour, I think, over. It was nuts. Yeah, but guys, we do this for you. Actually, no, we do this for the ministry, and we're thankful for. To, we're thankful to be a part of it. But sometimes you get silly comments, and if you guys comment something like that on here, uh, go watch our episode one debut episode it was Can a dr- Christian drink alcohol? We purposely did it because we know that that was going to come up a lot, and it's one of the most legalistic, unbiblical things that people talk about without knowing anything about it. And then also, uh, go check out our other uh, more recent episode, which is uh, rebuttaling the idea of it's not a sin, but a Christian shouldn't do it. That one was uh, one of my favorite ones because it's a pet peeve. So, anyway, enough of the conjecture and intros. We're going to jump into our topic. Yeah. Which uh, is? (laughs) uh, Which is reconciliation. Reconciliation. And I'm going to tell you guys, we're going to tick some of you off. I'm expecting half my subscriber count to disappear today. Um, And that's okay because I don't think we ever did this to preserve an ego. We never did this to hope that everyone would agree with us. We're okay with people disagreeing with us, and I will say anything we talk about here. I get it. I get the other side. I understand it, and we'll talk more about that in depth as we go.
1: And I think we're still leaving the room open that we could be wrong on some of these things too. So obviously, comment, reach out, um, let us know what you think, because we're we're just trying to go to the word here. We got a lot of verses out here that we're going to go through. But we're just going to try to see what the Bible says and try to be as as consistent both logically and scripturally, is into how to handle reconciliation. Absolutely. And so we're obviously called the church split, <laughs> and we're called the church split for a reason.
0: Now, the reason why we're called the church split is because we talk about issues that split churches, and this is completely appropriate for us to talk about then today, as this is a church splitting topic is the failure to recognize what to divide over and what not to divide over and then how to reconcile when division takes place especially was it rightful uh uh, was it rightful division or wrongful division Mm -hmm. because there is uh biblical cases for both so we want to talk about that all right so um, if for those of you who like to kind of keep uh, following along with us, do us a favor and you're going to want to keep Matthew 18 real close and handy. But one of the things, uh, Brian's kind of going through this a little bit at his church. So you, do you want to kind of jump into that a little?
1: Yeah, a little bit is just kind of the, the, the original kind of spurring topic on this that made me think about doing this video is, you know, what do you do with someone that, that's in your church that wants to reach out to someone that left? And how do you handle that? Is it right for them to try to get them to, to come back? Um, you know, I think we can assume that usually that's in the, uh, coming from a place of, or, or coming from a good place, that they just desire the church to be full. They want their friends back. Maybe it's even a little bit of uh, um, uh, looking to the past and, and maybe glorifying it a little bit, and wanting what what used to be. Um, so, uh, but I, it's something that I think approach cautiously. I. I think you should really tread lightly when you're trying to bring people back to church purposefully that have caused division or have succumbed to division or gossip or whatever, um, especially if they're not seeking repentance first. If they're just, you're just like, oh, please come back, you know, it's cool, you know, we changed the color of the paint that you didn't like or whatever, <laughs> you know, don't. I think it's 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 key not to, to fall into those same tropes or try to, um, you know, I, make it look like what they did wasn't that wrong.
0: Yeah. That was an issue I had whenever we went through a quote unquote church split. And when people think of church splits, you know, it's rarely over doctrinal issues. It's usually over gossip backbiting it, or it's uh differences, uh, stupid differences like uh, order of service or just weird little mm-hmm. administrative things. But sometimes people leave over a real sin issue. And that does happen. And when yeah. people leave over a true sin issue, and this is a biblical, because this is what, what things you, that you've had to deal with at your church and things I've had to deal with. So what will happen is when people do miss their friends. So if this person leaves, us a real sin issue. People will just start reaching out and try to get them to come back. Oh, just come back. Oh, it's not that bad anymore. Or they'll just, whatever they can do to get that person to come back through the doors, they'll try to fix. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that, that what you are doing is so you as a flock and a shepherd or whatever, you just ran a wolf out from among you. And now you're trying to bring the wolf back forcefully without proper reconciliation.
1: Yeah, and it's, I think it, it also, it's kind of ruining some of the original intent of some of the church discipline stuff, right? Like when, there was, when someone was causing problems at church and says, you know, mark them, avoid them, you know, the idea is that being separated from the church was a bad thing like it would it would draw that person back into repentance under, allow them to understand that they're wrong they've they're now missing out on the community they're missing out on that fellowship they're missing out on the great commission and trying to bring new believers it should be something that means something, right? And I think, especially the Americanized church with church around every corner, you know, that's good, but it also allows people to just go, well, I just don't like that you're telling me I'm wrong, so I'm just going to go to this next church across the across the street. And then when they do something they don't like or whatever, they just move on. And it just, it, it really just makes, it, 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 we even talked about this today, it just makes this this kind of standard of, I just want a church that's going to fit everything that I want. And instead of transforming yourself and molding yourself for what God wants. You're looking to mold the church, mold God, mold faith into what you want. And I think that's really, really backwards. And I think it enables this this same mentality of trying to bring people back um, that were causing division.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and a lot of it goes into consumerism, it's a, it, which is a plague in the American church is consumerism, not biblicism. What's my preferences? What do I like? And you know what? If you guys don't do it the way I like it, I'm just going to go into, down the church down the road because I can shop for a church anywhere mm-hmm. as opposed to considering the church to be something sacred. And I might be getting ahead of the ball a little bit here, but I'll say this when it's like if you understand what the church is, it's the body of Christ. And let's say you were rebellious, you were hurtful, you were cruel, you were mean, uh, you had false expectations, and you made everyone suffer for it, as has oftentimes been the case in, in uh, church split scenarios, and just so you're, if you're wondering if you've ever been through a church split, it does not necessarily mean that 50% of your church leaves and starts a new church. That's what people think of. Like, oh, they start, no, no, no. It's whenever a chunk of people or a small group of people split from the fellowship mm-hmm. over a tertiary issue, that's a church split people who are once involved who are no longer involved. Uh, so Matthew 18 says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Notice how it says sins, sins against. It doesn't say offend. If they bothered That's you important. or hurt Yeah. If, he, if they bothered your little feelings, who cares? You know, uh, we're, we're, offense is oftentimes in the eyes of the beholder. So it's a sin against. Now, if someone sins against you, then being, being sinned against will naturally lead to being
1: offended. But being offended does not necessarily mean sin against. Yeah, and I think even if you're really offended, it might actually prevent you from doing Matthew 18. So I think it's a little bit on the person who is offended or has been sinned against to to not let that offense be so strong that they can't follow Matthew 18. Exactly. So uh, I've had people who have caused a lot of problems in a church who have refused to meet with me.
0: Um, I can name them. Uh, quite a few people off the top of my head. I'm like, look, I, re- I know you've heard this or you're thinking this. I'd really like to meet with you and we can talk about this. And, you know, I'm actually a pretty easy guy to talk to, believe it or not. I think people have this. Uh, maybe might have this belief that I'm just over here punching people in the face the entire time in a meeting. But generally speaking, I'll let people talk forever. Yeah. And I won't say a word. I'll just let them get it all out of their system <laughs> so I can understand where they're coming from. But anyway... Matthew 18, 15, though, makes it clear. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You know what that means? You don't tell your pastor. You don't. Hey, pastor, can I talk to you about so-and-so? No. Do you, does that mean you go telling your little posse at church and then finally get the nerve to go talk to him? No. It means let's go talk to him. Keep it private. That's what he's trying to encourage you to
1: do. And no fake prayer request either, like, oh, we got to pray for so-and-so because they've been doing this really bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you guys about this bad thing. Um... <laughs> If
0: he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, the ecclesia, if you will, the group. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And here's the thing. You know, you and I are part of the RFP network. And I think some people have, you know, because of the legalism that has so promulgated in different circles Mm -hmm. um and that's not just ifb that is literally pentecostal there is so many there's so many sects of christianity where this takes place so it's not just just
1: that. it's just human nature we want to make standards and rules that god doesn't give (laughs) exactly so the thing is is that we
0: want to sit there and be like oh no we can't ever kick someone out of church and no we could never make someone sin public that's just embarrassing and and uh dishonoring to them and just disrespectful. Uh, That's not what Jesus says. Jesus literally says, no, if they've actually sinned and notice again, it's a sin, not a, Oh my goodness, they offended me. Mm -hmm. Don't bring someone's just, they offended me before the church. But if they bring actual sin and they don't repent, you're supposed to bring it to the church. I've had to do that. And it's not fun. No, it's really awkward. I will tell you that when you have to go, all right, we have to have a church meeting with members only because they're all established Christians, blah, 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 blah. And you sit down and you're like, all right, guys, you might notice that so-and-so has not been here for a while, and now I have to do this because we've, got, we've tried every way, and now we mm-hmm. have to let it be known to you. And why do you do that? I think people think that this is just, what, is this this hot gossip? Is this just us pouring hot tea? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not. It's a way to protect your church. Why do you do that? So that way the ecclesia, the church, the people, the body of Christ knows who's going to harm it. So the whole thing, like, okay, if we're the body of Christ, and you had this person come in with sin, and they brought cancer into your arm, and it's just eating away, maybe at your liver, do you want it to spread?
1: No. Yeah.
0: It's, it's a, it's a, no, you're going to want to surgically remove that, and that's the point. Yeah. Um, and now you might have somebody who's so divisive in the church that they just walk in with a machete and lop off the arm of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, They start hurting people and dividing people. Well, then you got to do something about that. Um, so that's that's the point here. I think people don't realize it's like, no, no, the body, if you call it the body of Christ, it means it's the body of Messiah. It's the body of the Son of God. We are his people.
1: That's a sacred thing, and we should take it seriously. Yeah, and the fact that we've, even you and I personally have seen so much of it that we thought of making a channel to talk about it uh, shows that... By our very nature, we're bad at following Matthew 18. <laughs> yeah, it's... So we're trying to really remind everyone here that Matthew 18 is important. And then we're going to get into some verses on when it doesn't work, then what do you do next? Exactly. So, and so when it
0: comes to this stuff, um, now, what ends up happening is um, when well, you have to do this, people want to bring people back into the body. You know? And the thing is, there is a biblical way that reconciliation takes place. And if you read later on in Matthew 18, it does. he does talk about forgiveness quite a bit. Uh, like in verse 21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. So we have to be willing to forgive and reconcile with one another. And that's hard. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're like me, Brian, but I'm petty. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, I I I, been petty. I, <laughs> I am a salty sucker. I, you know, I am literally the extra sea
1: salt, a uh, sea salt on your Wendy's fries. Uh, well, and I think it depends too. Like, how are you offended or sinned against, right? Like, you know, if someone sins against me. Okay. I... Maybe six or seven times I might be able to handle, but I don't know about seventy times seven. But if someone tends against my wife, oh, it's mm-hmm. uh, it might might be one, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> you know, or my my child, mm, that's gonna be tough. Exactly. So we all have our different thresholds, I think. Well, it,
0: I'm with the I'm with that too, because everyone knows my my wife is one of the nicest people ever, and she feels really bad if she does anything wrong. She'll beat herself up mm-hmm. more than I'll ever beat her up, and so. You know, somebody goes after my wife, you're a dead man. And and that's just the way it is. I mean, I get doing this kind of job and doing what I do, I get attacked all the time. I usually laugh it off and, you know, pour your tears into my morning coffee and (laughs) sip on it on my way to work. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, (laughs) Angry people. (laughs) But that's, you know, we have to consider the fact that we are to forgive. Mm -hmm. I actually have a personal story about this I might tell later. Remind me just to talk about my mom later. Okay. Um, So... The thing is, is that we do have to understand that this is something that's biblically commanded. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Notice that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is one of the most powerful verses when you think about forgiving people who have hurt you. It's like, no, no, he reconciled us, not holding our faults against us. Yeah. So now we are his ambassadors to, of reconciliation, and we ought to mirror that. It honestly, it's like one of those things where it's like, it's so daunting when you think about it. If you've been, I've been, many people know this. I've been morbidly abused and hurt by plenty of people in my life and I'm not a perfect person, but that's tough after a while. I mean, it, yeah. I was super like forgiving, forgiving and gracious, forgiving and gracious. And finally something snapped in me in my early twenties. And I was just like, screw everybody. <laughs> and I realized that was just being an angry, bitter vessel, letting my circumstances control. So.
1: Yeah, I think so. We have a framework here, right, of, okay, there's something that you are going to be sinned against. When it happens, you're going to follow Matthew 18. You're going to reach out to that person individually. If they, recon- if they seek reconciliation and you forgive them, then you've gained a brother. If they refuse and they don't admit that they're wrong, then you go through this process of, of more and more public rebuke to the eventual point of they're out of the church, and that, should, that separation should mean something and should hopefully draw them back to the church and a desire to seek reconciliation because they miss that community. Um, so then that, that brings us to what do we do with that reconciliation at that point? Do we, uh, do we allow for it? And I think, you know, through the, like, uh, Paul was saying, there is the ministry of reconciliation, right? Christ forgave us. And he didn't have to, right? He, that's, that's the mercy, um, of the gospel message. So and, we're supposed to, we're supposed to be mimicking that. We're supposed to be forgiving others like Christ forgave us. And to that point, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but one of the areas that
0: 1 Timothy 5, verse 20 sticks out, this is in the CSB, publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. I know we're all like, oh, fear tactics are bad. Mm." (laughs) No, it's a strong motivation. Do you know why I don't touch the hot stove, Brian? it hurts. Because it hurts and I'm scared to be hurt. So there (laughs) we go. And so notice how it's like, rebuke them publicly. Like you sometimes have to do that. Um, and that's probably the thing you and I get attacked for the most, I think, actually, on this channel. It's like, why would you do this to this person publicly? It's like, well, we're told to rebuke public.
1: Especially when they made public statements. Yeah, like <laughs> if you
0: make a public statement, now you've put yourself in the public sphere and we have to publicly rebuke. There's a reason why we're pretty careful about what we say on here. i mm-hmm. um, not saying that if anyone heard my private conversations, they wouldn't be able to go, aha, you know, I'm not perfect. But, you know, we try to be careful whatever we teach and implore that people do the same thing. So, Anyway, what do we do? Well, first off, when, when there's division in a church, one must seek reconciliation. But how's reconciliation taking place? Well, how do we reconcile unto God? Because the way we reconcile to God is a great example on how we reconcile with one, one another. Well, mm-hmm. we repent, and we believe in Christ, and that reconciles us unto God. He allows us to come on to him. So one of the things is when you're dealing with, okay, reconcile. One of the things that people seem to think with with forgive is that it means forgive and forget. Nowhere in the scripture does it say forgive and forget. Nope. (laughs) Um, Nowhere. In fact, for human beings, we won't ever be able to forget, which means that, you know, you can forgive somebody and reconcile with them, but you're never going to truly be able to forget. And you might also um, not ever be able to fully trust them in that same capacity, yeah. It does not necessarily mean, though, that you don't reconcile, that you're not friendly, that you don't encourage, that you don't build up one another up. Uh, you know, just might be one thing's like, yikes! I, you know, uh, you stole money from me. I guess I can't ever leave my wallet out in front of you.
1: Yeah. You can be, you can be forgiving, but also still, still be logical and use some common sense, right? If someone stole from the church, probably part of reconciliation and forgiveness probably isn't making them the church treasure again. Right. Exactly. And and one of the ways that they can show that they're that 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 they're showing reconciliation and and seeking after true repentance is that they are going to try to avoid those things that cause them temptation for that sin. So if they were if they did uh, steal some money from the church, well, they probably should be saying, oh, I don't I don't want to hold the collection plate. I don't want I want to just completely abstain from even the appearance of of going back to my old ways. So I am going to just abstain. So they should, they should be doing that themselves, right? They should be going to the eldership and saying, almost, I don't want to do this. I don't want to touch the collection plate. I don't want to walk it back to the office. Those you guys. almost abstain from the
0: appearance of evil, them, which is not what that verse means. I was like, is it going to say it? Because no, I'm going to it. rebuke you now. <laughs> um, no, the point is, is if, you, if, if anything, Proverbs and other areas tells us that if you have a temptation, you flee from it. Mm-hmm. So the point, so that's what you're saying. Like, you know, I'm not putting myself into temptation's way. That is clearly what I'm tempted by. I I can't even do it. I can't allow for it. Yeah. Because what you're doing is you're allowing for sin to have an opportunity.
1: Your repentance should reflect what you're trying to repent from.
0: Exactly. So um, that that I just wanted to catch that before <laughs> I hear, hear an IFB person going, aha! Yes. Brian agrees with me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, try to run now, heathens. Uh, anyway, but what do you do when somebody actually caused division in the church over a sin issue, over a biblical, you know, or you know, it was a sin issue. It tore the church apart over something. You know, I, I was uh, stabbed in the back by, a, by an associate once. You know mm-hmm. that. My associate pastor just... <laughs> um, and just left me some nice gaping holes. Uh, and the thing is, with that, what do you do? Well, you first don't try to beg the person to reconcile. God doesn't sit there and go, oh, come on, please, please reconcile them to me, please. No, he gave his son. He showed, I am available for you. Mm-hmm. Come unto me, all who are heavy and you will find rest, but he's not sitting there knocking you know, all day long. No, he says, no. You knock, and the door will be opened unto you. There's, there's got to be a point where I recognize my sin and I repent and re- pursue reconciliation with God. There's a reason why there's prerequisites on man's part, right? You know, believe in me, and uh,
1: so well, And Galatians three gets into that, right? Where you know, Israel and us, we had to know that we were sinners. We had to know that we needed a Savior in order to be saved. And I think that just goes along with the same line of repentance and reconciliation is you have to know that you were in the wrong in order to seek repentance. If you don't think that you were ever wrong, then I don't think you're going to have true repentance just like us guys, when we like to uh, uh, give the the brush off, I'm sorry, honey, when you know we did something wrong for a wise, right? And she's like, Yeah, you don't really mean that. Like, Yeah, I really didn't. Or you say the uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm... you feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that that made you sad. <laughs> I'm sorry you feel that way, honey. I'm really sorry I, I made you feel that I'm way. I'm guilty of doing that several times. Of course you are, because you're condescending <laughs> as heck. Oh, <laughs> um, I'm just. As bad. But that's. I will admit that was not true reconciliation or repentance. I was yep. just saying, I don't want to deal with this, and I i don't think I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I just don't touch. So if someone has that same attitude, they cause division in the church, and they have that same attitude, I don't think I was ever wrong, uh, then repentance is probably going to be really hard. <laughs> yeah, and,
0: and here's the thing, and then you won't be able to reconcile with
1: them. Mm-hmm. If someone who sinned
0: against you cannot admit that they sinned against you, there's no point in trying to rec- force them to reconcile. So don't be calling them, oh, come back to church, da-da. No, you're, you're beckoning the wolf back in. Mm-hmm. You're destroying the, the defense mechanism Christ commanded the church. Defend it. It is the body of Christ. Protect it. It yeah. is something worth protecting. Yep. Because there could be somebody weak in their faith that that person you're welcoming back could hurt. So don't do it. We had uh, some people who were upset the fact that we took a stand against homosexuality in our church. Well, that's that was a biblical reason for us to take a stand on. And... I don't, you know, the church should not want any of them back until they repent. That's just all there is to it. And I know that's harsh, uh, but it's not. <laughs> truth without love is
1: harshness, but love without truth is compromise. And if you think of being harsh, just keep listening. Cause then you're going to be mad at us for the other reasons. Yep. So, or the other so, side of the coin. <laughs> yep. So on the other side of
0: the coin, because again, there has to be repentance. Now, Jesus, of course, said, keep fruit, which is consistent with repentance, which goes Mm -hmm. into that whole, like, I flee from my youthful desires and all that. But notice then what he does. All right, well, then how do you restore somebody? Then how do you bring somebody back to the fold? Well, he answers this in Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, which is a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he has something, when he has nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one tests his own work and, that, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. This is a powerful and important verse to remember with what we're talking about. So one, if anyone's caught in a transgression, those who are spiritual, go restore them. This means not Joshmo in your church. I know we all like to be like, what? But the priesthood of the believer, yes, but those were spiritual. This should be like the eldership or very respected people in the church who know, who are uh, veterans enough in the faith to be able to withstand whatever this interaction might cause.
1: Or even specifically veterans in this kind of thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So notice that. So he goes, and go restore them with gentleness. Not kicking in their door and going, "What is wrong with you?" And so there's, because that's the other thing, right? Oh, oh, the the those who are spiritual, the bold and angry ones. No, no, no. You can be bold without being a jerk. So you need to find that. So those people should be the ones who go. And if you think someone's open for it, maybe you should go talk to somebody who is wiser, who is an elder in the church or something like that. Now I know uh, we were again. This is going to irritate people who came from more of a legalistic background because of similar language people have heard. But don't misconstrue this. This isn't somebody who you, people think is an elder. This is someone who exemplifies spiritual eldership. That's yeah. what I'm talking about
1: we're here. We're not talking about no man of God stuff, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> it's not, we're not talking about that. It means that they exemplify the fruits of the spirit. They mm-hmm. are trusted within the body of Christ to be strong believers. Again, when we're using some of this terminology, you might have to like wash your brain of the Christianese that you've been taught before and adapt to <laughs> biblicism a little bit. So. Then also notice how it says, bear one another's burdens. That is probably one of the biggest areas the church fails today in America. And I know you might be like, well, we left that legalism a long time ago. No, no, you're still doing it most likely. (laughs) And we're going to get into one of the hot topics here in a few minutes of the cultural thing that is huge today. And yep. this, that we're, we're probably going to lose all our subscribers. <laughs> uh, but so the thing is, is we need to bear one another's burdens. We tell people all the time, be open and honest with your sin, man. Tell us what you're struggling with, man. But then the moment you hear what they struggle with. Yeah. Like, pff. wow. Wow. <laughs> get out, You get out of here. You're disgusting. You're a filthy, rotten sinner. You're, you're evil. As you if wait. watch
1: Marvel movies, but- <laughs> <laughs> That's an extreme. But you know,
0: like, you might, there's a reason why some people struggle deeply with sexual sins or mm-hmm. hatred because they, and they don't share because they're afraid of the shame. Because in the Western world today, sh- sexual sins are taboo, which is, I think, mm-hmm. what's kind of given the LGBT plus community an edge because, like, oh, no, sex is just fine. It's freedom. It's whatever. And so you have this one side that's like, ooh, it's taboo, don't talk about it. And then the other side that's like, ooh, it's fine, it's wonderful, yeah. we welcome it. And instead of going, no, sex is real, it's a thing, God created it, it's awesome. If you don't think it's awesome, you've either never had it, or you're not human, or maybe
1: your partner's just really bad. Anyway, um, <laughs> What are you trying to say? Is you're both wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, both sides of that are both sides of that coin are wrong. You know, sex is not a bad thing. So that's one of the that's one of the taboo topics. But we need to bear one another's burdens, mm-hmm. which means, you know, if uh, to bear my burden means I will share with you my sin and you lift me up, not yeah. you condemn and beat me down. But at the same time, if someone is caught in a sin and they're not repentant of it, which by the way, repentant doesn't mean that suddenly you're going to be perfect, like the alcoholic isn't going to be perfect and not desire alcohol. But the point is that they should be able to go, I'm an alcoholic, and we go, let's build you up and support you and bear your burden. And that person's repentant, even though they might repeatedly screw up. Yeah. But they know they are screwed up. They have the guilt, and they're trying, and they're praying, and they're pursuing God and all things. And that's that whole point of those who seek God will. Uh, in fact, before we get into our hot topic, um, I wanted to read... Hebrews chapter 7, this is, again, CSB, so not my normal ESV I use on here. But notice this in verse 22, Hebrews 7, verse 22. Because of this oath, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to completely save those who come to come to God through him since he's always, always lives to intercede for them. He's able to completely save those who come to God. So that means no one is off limits. He's able to completely save those who come to God. If they come to God, they receive grace. And nowadays we have certain sins that we say are unforgivable. And God only said one sin was unforgivable yeah, which is did. comparing the work of the spirit to Satan
1: mm-hmm.
0: or completely rejecting them outright, really, because obviously if you, don't, if you reject them and you don't believe in them, belief is literally the prerequisite to get in. <laughs> yep. So there aren't any sins out there. And, in fact, uh, he even says in Corinthians that, you know, all these horrible things, fornicators, homosexuals, greed, lust, all these people, these horrible things, such were some of you. So, as we hop into this, this brings us into the hot topic. What do you do with sexual abuse in the church? Now, uh, we did reach out to Eric Swarzinski at Preacher Boys because he's kind of the resident expert, and he's in front of the show. And yeah, he's a friend of the show. We like him. He's a funny guy. He roasts us consistently, <laughs> and it's only because he's insecure about his inferior show. but <laughs> <laughs> um... Eric is a good guy, and we asked him his, his thoughts, and you know um, he, uh, to summarize them, he basically was like, "Look, you know these people don't change. I of course believe people can be saved and come unto God, but you know the science shows that these people don't say don't change and um, you know, I just think we should be really careful with that. And he did have some really good pointers, and I want to bring out some of those things as we discuss this.
1: Yeah, he did give us an interview, too, that he recommends people watch. We'll link that in the, in the yeah, description, Yeah, absolutely. Too. So I
0: will say this. I totally get where Eric's coming from on that, although I slightly disagree. Um, and I, I will say slightly because I also agree a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say I agree with him more than I disagree with him on this topic. Definitely. Uh, so, um, So here's the thing. The only thing, uh, one of the things that he brought up, which we've already used one of the points that is really good, is that when somebody is truly repentant, so you have a sexual abuser who's been caught or he came forward or turned himself in or whatever, whatever that situation lended itself, someone who's truly repentant will do everything they can to keep themselves out of the situation that puts them there again, Yeah, which means that they are going to sit away from it all people with families. They're going to go nowhere in the church where families are. And one of the things I did hear say on there, and I just don't think it's realistic, is this idea of like, well, if you're a sexual abuser and you really want to get to know God, you should just go to a church without children. Like, name a church without children. Um, or that a church that's okay with not having children walk in. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a realistic uh, view on how that's going to be handled. Uh, you can even say that old person church on the corner, go down the road there, but it doesn't mean a family is not going to walk in at some point with some kids. This is just the reality. Um, now, I'm not saying that, of course, that person wouldn't be able to get up and leave and go around, but I just don't think that creates stability for people. So here's the thing. Sex abuse is real. Sex abuse is traumatizing. Sex abuse does things to people's brains and hurts people. It hurts the abuser, I mean, mean, it hurts the abuser, it hurts the abused, it hurts the family of the abused, and I'm speaking this from personal experience, I have been sexually abused as a child, and, you know, that kind of messed me up, it, I don't know, just things as a little kid, when you've been exposed to some things, it brings up a lot of things to to mind and to question.
1: So, so we rebuke it in the strongest terms. So, we
0: rebuke it in the strongest terms, it's bad, it's not good, and obviously, it's mm -hmm. horrible, and i can't condemn it anymore with the, the, the saying yes it is deplorable this disgusting terrible no good very bad thing
1: and should definitely not be occurring in the church and it should not be hidden in the church or covered up either
0: preach mm. no and that's a huge problem right so there's two extremes of this and i think both extremes create more abuse and uh, other people other psychologists have confirmed that this, these types of reactions can create more problems. Mm-hmm. So first off is the cover-up, right? It's so shameful, so disgusting, so horrible. We can't tell anybody because it'll destroy our reputation. It'll destroy everyone's lives because that's the thing. You know, here, as bad as it is for the pastor to cover it up, um, people do have to understand that once your church is, uh, you know, deacon at X blah, blah, Bible church, convicted of sexual abuse of a minor. Okay. Now your church is forever attached to that, which is going to hurt the reputation of your church. But what people don't realize, if you cover it up and it comes out later, it doubly hurts your reputation. So it's a very, um, it's a very much a a sacrifice in the now for that, which is expedient. And of course, depending on the, what political level that person was in the church, they get different treatment by different people. It's, It's just not good. So the cover-up thing is terrible because yeah. it does not bring justice. You know, seek walk. What is it? Uh, seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. It's not seeking justice.
1: And we also don't think that repentance is necessarily possible when you're when you're covering up and exactly and, and hiding everything. Yeah,
0: if you're covering it up, repentance isn't really there
1: because the person
0: never got had to face the con- any consequences for their actions. Even if it's not legal actions, right? Like, let's be real. Like, and no matter – it's just just because I lied to you, Brian, doesn't mean I need to suffer legal repercussions of it. But I should have to look you dead in the eye with all your disappointment in me and do a full-on repentance. Mm-hmm. But sexual abuse deals with so many more things. There's so many more layers there that oftentimes uh, public is necessary. So here's the other thing. If someone's truly repentant of sexual abuse, they will be open about their sexual abuse that they've committed in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, that was one. So one of the things I uh, when I started realizing, because I've committed a lot of sins in my life. I've been a horrible human being. And I look back, and for a long time, I wouldn't talk about it. Like, I wouldn't talk about my high school days and what I did and the lasciviousness that I, uh, you know, engaged in. I wouldn't uh, talk about even my sexual abuse because all of these things were embarrassing, weird, vulnerable things I never talked about. But then I realized something. That's not really repentant if I'm not talking about it. You know, I need to be open and honest about who I am, what I've done, and move on, it's fine. And once that happened, now it doesn't mean I need to talk about every single waking detail, if every single waking situation, because there's other people that that's connected to and involved, I'm not gonna drag them along with my baggage. But the point is, is that
1: being open and honest with what you've done shows repentance. And it also shows the power of the gospel, right? Paul is an excellent <clears throat> example of this where he's going, look, I'm the chief sinner. Look, I was doing these terrible things. I was persecuting the church, the very church that I'm helping spread right now, and I feel terribly about it, and I deserve all the punishment from that. And it's and because Jesus could intervene in my life, even for me, as terrible as I was, you he can definitely save. So it, it was really a powerful story, and I think when we— when we avoid the, those topics, we avoid talking about our past, our sins. We, we essentially water down the gospel. We're saying, well, you know, God's not that powerful. Yeah, you, you know, you're not that bad, so he can save you, but no, don't be really bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, Paul even said, I, of all, all of them, are, is unworthy to be called an apostle because mm-hmm. I persecuted the church. He killed Christians. Mm-hmm. He's a murderer. He's a cold-blooded murderer is what he was. And yet Christ forgave him and used him. So uh, then we think of somebody like David who committed horrific sexual uh, crimes, really. And he, God called a man after his own heart because of his repentance. See, the problem is when we say somebody can never change is that we put them in a bubble. And this is the other problem. So you have the cover-up problem, and then you have, oh, they'll never, ever, 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 ever change. They should be condemned wholeheartedly. Or if you hear somebody go, well, any kind of sexual abuser should just be lined up against the wall and shot. Well, he, the problem is with any of that mentality towards sin is that, first off, all sin is hor- horrible. But secondly, okay, now let's say you have somebody who was sexually abused as a child, and maybe their their brain is all sex, like just jacked up with about sexual things. And then they and they have all these weird desires, and they don't really know how to handle these desires. But then they hear, if somebody has these desires or blah, 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 they should be lined up against the wall and shot. Well, now they're not going to be open about it. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be open about it. So therefore, no one's able to bear their burden because no one even knows it's a burden. And why would they want to share their burden if someone says they're going to shoot you for it? As uh, Andrew has put it so many times, Christians are the only people who shoot their own wounded. Well, then what's happening is that this person has to live in secret with their temptation. And it just creates more and more of a temptation behind the scenes which allows for the dabbling, which allows for eventually full throttle into the sin. No, talk to anyone who's had a pornography addiction. They were not open about it. They were not honest about it when they were first exposed. Maybe uh, one of my good friends was exposed at like nine years old and became addicted to it at such a young age. He didn't talk about it because he was told everyone who watched porn was a pervert. And well, yeah, that might be true. You might be kind of perverted, but aren't we all perverted by sin? And, it, and that's the problem. So then he was, and then they'll tell you. So it just got worse mm-hmm. and worse and worse. And suddenly it was, I was too deep in and I couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about these things, you go, wow, I'm not, if we create too toxic of an atmosphere in either direction, we really create a bad scenario for everybody.
1: Well, and even Paul, I think we're going to get to this first, but Paul even calls it Overwhelmed by excessive sorrow in Second Corinthians, right? It's, it, it should be hurting the church and hurting, hurting others should be enough to cause a desire for repentance and reconciliation. We shouldn't make it too bad or we shouldn't create these standards or thresholds. They just can't meet.
0: Exactly. So that's the thing. is so when you go, well, they can't change. They'll never change. Well, then what you're doing is you are creating, I mean, what do you expect them to do at that point? Think what about you, it. Well, you can't. ever You will never change. So we're not going to help you. Well, then you're just basically told, them, "Well, just keep doing what you're doing because no one's going to help you. We don't believe you can change. So you're just going to be a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad person for the rest of your life." Well, then there's no motivation for anything. There's no incentive for anything. There's no build up for anything. You're not exhorting one another unto love and what good works. You're not exhorting them at all. You're just saying, mm, "Go to back to the wolves." And then you know what ends up happening? They do. And then more people get abused. No other problem, help being there, being done there.
1: Well, let's just face it. When you say they can't change, you're saying you're really saying the Holy Spirit can't help them change. Boom. You're really limiting the power of God there, and I think you're on really shaky biblical ground to do something like that. And we would call that legalism. You're adding a new standard to the Bible that God doesn't give. Exactly. And when
0: people say, "Well, well, you know, psychology shows that these people never change," well, here's the thing. Maybe somebody never can change their attractions. You know, uh, but we tell people all the time that, you know, well, you can't change your attractions. Maybe as a homosexual man, you know, none of us can control our desires, but, but Christ can save you and reconcile you unto himself. we, we give that gospel to all these different people. But then once it comes over here to someone who's made any kind of sexual abuse, nope, we create a new arbitrary line that's not in scripture
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and go, nope, that's not going to happen. You can't receive grace at all. And I, that's not biblical.
1: And you're losing out on a very powerful gospel message. We had uh, Jake Eakin on the channel. Please watch that interview. It's well, watch fantastic. Watch interview.
0: If you just ignore everything I say now, just go straight to that Jake Eakin interview. It'll blow your mind.
1: It, he's someone who, as a child, helped commit a murder of another child and spent many years after that very much unrepentant, did not know the Lord, um, and just was angry and mad at the world. and Even tried to escape from the joint. Yeah, he actually did escape and got and got caught and went back and, but he he found God. He actually discovered a Bible in his cell, and it changed his life. And he really shows true repentance. And um, but he's also like we were talking about when he's talking when he's showing his repentance. He's he's not minimizing his sin. Yep. He's not hiding his sin. He is he's living out his repentance in a way, avoiding that that sin. And, um, it's a really powerful story and he doesn't minimize it. He even corrects people who minimize his sin and goes, no, 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 don't let me off the hook. I was terrible, but God is, is better.
0: Yeah. I've seen him do it. Cause it's funny. Cause I, you know, if somebody goes in there and goes,
1: well, he only helped
0: hide the body and he like beat up the body. He didn't do the stabbing. The other kid did the stabbing. It was really probably cause he was only 12 years old and he was scared by the other kid who killed the other kid and just kind of went along with it. And he'll go, no, stop it. I, I helped commit a murder. Like doesn't matter any, uh, anything I helped commit a murder. I am a horrible, evil, sinful person. And now he goes around, runs around and he tries to save children from being aborted. It's like, the, it's like another Saul to Paul kind of story. Like, oh, I was a horrible murderer and now I'm over here saving souls. He's over here like, I helped kill a child, now I'm helping save children. And then when you say that sex abusers can't ever change, you are spitting right in the face of that glorious gospel that changes lives. And I say this because I've known sexual abusers. I've known sexual abusers who have never repented, And have been horrible, terrible, no good, very bad people. Mm -hmm. And some people are just evil and vindictive. They just are. It's hard to sit there and think that someone who's, you know, 50 years old, 40 years old, been doing this for 20 years is really ever repentant. You know, but somebody who, you know, you know, lived, had a really dark period and changed their life, whatever.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I've known people who have changed and now they're like, but they feel, but they're so alienated. Because that's how churches respond. Now this one person I know has gone to different churches and has met with the pastor right away, told them everything. This is what's going on. This is my current case. This is what's everything's happening. And then goes to counseling for it all, trying to work out the issues. Because people don't understand the fact that even though sexual abuse is terrible, again, victim speaking, there's also a, gotta be a reason for it. And these people are terribly sick. Um, like anything, any, any, any sin comes from a terrible sickness. And I know, oh, that's going to be a, I know that's already a hot take. I was going to be like, oh my gosh, it's not a sickness. They're just disgusting. Yeah. What do you think is disgusting about them? The sickness, the sin. <sighs> it's like, it shouldn't be that difficult to put together. And
1: it's not to excuse it, but it's
0: to understand exactly. it. And so how one to of prevent the, it. One of the things I've heard people say like, well, the why doesn't matter. The why doesn't matter because they just did it and it's evil and it's terrible and no one should ever talk about it. Um, No one should ever, you know, they should just be shunned. It's terrible because the why doesn't matter. The point is that it happened. Well, if you say the why doesn't matter, how is that scientific, by the way, in any way, shape, or form? (laughs) Understanding the why to anything is vital to fixing it. Uh, You want more sex abuse to happen? No. Then understand why. And then understand how we can better be proactive to help prevent it and fix it. Mm -hmm. And that preventing it, one, is going to be protecting your kids better. Be a proactive parent. Um, I'm just going to be honest. I don't put my daughter in the nursery at church. Why? Because I've heard too many crazy th- stories that happened there. I'm like, you know what? My kid can sit in the service with me. she always... Kids have always done that. It's fine. Um, you, uh, you, you and I were best friends for years before. And you finally let us watch Brayden. What? Two years in three? Yeah. Two, three years, almost
1: three years. Yeah.
0: And you were just cautious because, and not even because it was, I wasn't over here. Like, Oh my goodness. Brian doesn't trust
1: me. I'm just like, no, it's this kid. He should be yeah. cautious with anybody. It's okay to be cautious, and it's okay to have your own standards as far as when you're okay with someone watching your kid. We're not saying that. Yeah, exactly. So we're not saying be naive. In fact, uh, I am probably one of the most cynical
0: people on planet Earth because I'm very much not naive. I, Brian, you know that. I am a cynical jerk half the time. <laughs> I almost always will see a negative motivation in people. Yeah. And it's just the way I am, and it's be, it has helped me be very discerning in many situations. Uh, but at the same time, I have to tell myself, I have to kind of work with myself when I'm being over, overly that much. But the problem is here, so, Okay. Uh, also, the why with a lot of these uh, sexually abused uh, sexual abusers is that they were sexually abused, and people need to understand the psychology and how that works. A lot of times, when, when it's a man, especially uh, men imprint. They show this uh, psychologically. Men imprint on their first sexual experience, uh, which means that they're going to naturally kind of always pursue that first sexual experience, the whatever was that exposure was, because that's where they got their first high, and so they're constantly try to recreate it. That's why boys who are exposed to pornography at young ages are, remain addicted or have a hard time breaking that addiction over time, because that was their first imprint. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe if it was so they're sexually abused at a young age, there's an imprint there, and things just keep repeating. So we need to understand that. The, and these are this is actual data. You can look up the different data of how this stuff works and have a better understanding of it, and go, wow that's messed up. And yeah, it is. So, I mean, the thing is, is if someone is truly repentant, they're going to show that by being open and honest. They're going to do everything they can to avoid it. And know we should not create arbitrary standards, but at the same time, we should be smart. I'm even okay with having a certain representative of the church who sits by them during service. Like, Hey man, look, we just got to keep an eye on you because we can't endanger other people's families just for your sake. If they're truly comfort. repentant,
1: they should be welcoming. Yeah. They should be like, yeah, that'd be yeah. great
0: actually. Cause I don't want the temptation. You know, I, I would much rather be supported by people I'm around. And you know, I'm good with that. And and I think that's biblically okay. But we need to stop pretending like suddenly those who commit who are sexual abusers are suddenly beyond grace and beyond salvation. Because remember, as I already said in Hebrews, he's able to completely save
1: anyone who seek God. And this is where we'll part ways a little bit with Eric and you'll you can you can hear his own words for it in the interview that we're going to link. Um, but they say that a lot of sexual predators tend to be very compliant individuals. They, um, they want to blend in. They want to, a lot of them want to, uh, appear as though they're, they've been reconciled and, and they're repentant so that they can go back and keep on abusing They are master manipulators. And I completely agree with a lot of that. And that can be completely true. Absolutely. But the, we also got to realize that the, the standard that people are going to show for repentance is also going to be compliance and seeking repentance and wanting reconciliation and wanting to do the things that are going to be able to restore them um, with other people. So we I think where we probably part ways a little bit with Eric is we still think that there should be a way that there—we don't want to create a standard that's impossible to meet, right? We still need to allow for, for grace. We still need to allow for the Holy Spirit— with our eyes open, with common sense, not being ignorant, not being neglectful. Not, not
0: being naive and stupid. Yeah.
1: But I, we we can't just say there's no chance, because I think we risk going the all, all the way to the other side and creating a new reprobate doctrine for a different type of sexual sin. Exactly. And, you know, and
0: again, if you—and yeah, the reprobate doctrine does not hold up biblically either. Sorry, my— New IFB friends, <laughs> it does not hold up biblically. There's too many, too much data that shows the other one. Otherwise, uh, but and again, I, I feel like I, there's going to be another episode I want to do as to why sexual abusers and sexual issues come from these super strict and conservative areas because there's a lot of interesting data and a lot of interesting things to consider there. But I don't think I've enough time. You've already heard me unpack that a few times. Yeah. We don't have enough time to unpack that right long. now. <laughs> yeah, but point is, guys, is that no one's beyond redemption, but we, it, I, we're we not saying, again, we're not being like, you know, ooh, they're pedophile apologists. No, heck no. <laughs> um, in fact, I've had, you know, there's it's a challenge. I've worked with these people before. It's a challenge. And I'm telling you, if you guys know, and this is something that would be great for the community or people who listen or watch this, do you know of a ministry that helps these people specifically? I want to know because I don't know of one. And I don't know if there's a strong methodology on how to approach this. Mm-hmm. Because we have to show grace and the gospel to all people. And God can change lives. I've seen lives change. I've known sexual abusers, a sexual abuser who has their life completely changed around right now. But they did some really stupid things when they were young, when they were young adults. And this person's fully grown and totally different now. But... What do you do? Like, so if you guys know of a ministry that does that, can you please like drop the link in the description or send an email at uh, to us at thechurchsplit at gmail.com? I'd love to look into it and possibly even interview a specialist from that because there's a lot of interesting data that shows a lot of different things. And the biggest thing that I've seen in the data is change is rare in such people, but that's with any sin. I know that. So I know if repentance in Christ can restore anybody to a new creation. But I also know that that data shows that if you create too many unrealistic standards, then what happens is that these people don't come forward ever and just continue to abuse behind the scenes. And that's when you end up with a 20, 30-year resume. Uh, Of course, you might just end up with that anyway because the person wants to be disgusting and perverted forever. Um,
1: But anyway. I think we're we're trying to live out the standards that are being shown here in the Bible. We're trying to live out the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. So let's flip the coin not from a sexual abuse perspective, but let's just say we, we have all sinned against other people. Let's just be fair. There's a lot of people in the RFP community that have mentioned a lot of regret on pushing their own extra biblical standards on other people and separating from people that they shouldn't have because they were just pushing legalism on someone and it was not right and they show a lot of regret for it. And I think we all have a desire to wanna to be forgiven for our sins, right? We we there's so often that we want to have true repentance and we want that opportunity to be forgiven. So let's let's make sure that we're also affording that same opportunity for others that want to be forgiven. We're not saying forgive everybody. We're not saying that forgive for, and forget. We're not, we're not saying that. We're not saying that. We're not saying forgive those that aren't repentant. We're saying there's there's a way to handle someone that sins against you. There's a there's a process to divide from them if they're not repentant. And there is a process for forgiveness once repentance is, is sought by the individual that sinned. And you can still be smart about it.
0: Yep. And that's why um, in Luke 17, 3 through 4, it says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And this isn't, uh, and again, this should be compared to with everything else that Jesus said. So this is just a free pass to just say every single time I get to do whatever I want to go, Oh, I repent. No, repent. Repent means to actually be trying to change and there's got to be fruit of repentance there. So, um, you know, think of somebody who's, who's experienced or who has had an abortion. You know, we would say, oh man, yeah, abortion is murder. They murdered a human being. Well, you have a mother that walks in and she goes, I aborted my child and she's now seeking repentance. Well, now you are allowing for repentance for a murderer. I'd hope that any gospel-centered church would show this woman
1: hope. Mm-hmm. and um, Or even an abortion doctor came in and said, I've aborted a 1,000 babies. Yeah. And I realize, I mean, I think a lot of the pro-life community like praises those that realize that they were so wrong in killing babies and they now seek repentance. We, we really see that as just this awesome story. You're, look at all the power of the Holy Spirit and look how that Christ is working this person's life. Let's let's make sure that we don't create situations where we're not going to even allow that to happen. Yeah, and so let
0: me... Do you mind if I tell a personal story for Go a minute, for Brian? Okay, for. this is one of those weird ones. I, I kind of avoided it in my personal story uh, interview with me because I was like, that says that's a lot to unpack. And it's still a lot to unpack, but I'll try to give you guys the decimal point version. Um, many of you guys know, again, I've mentioned plenty of times on this program I was raised in a highly abusive home. And, you know, I mentioned in our, that uh interview with you with me that uh some of the highlights right you know my mom was arrested uh when i was 14 i got to hold her down when she got cuffed uh she was highly abusive to my brothers my dad and i we used to fight he used to have a, a roaring temper there was a time he even loaded a gun uh and my sister had to like break down the door essentially to get him from blasting his own head off um then there was also you know, the time where you know, I had to defend myself against my dad who was in a ra- fit of rage and I gave him two black eyes, a broken nose, and a concussion, and a sliced cheek. Um, it, yeah, so I've been through some crap, okay? And that crap never stopped. So with my mom, it just continued, and it continued, and it continued, and it continued. And then I got married and you know things kind of got better just because I was away from home, but a lot of the same narcissism, a lot of the same hurtful abuse and the, the, the lies and the manipulation and the harshness and all of these things kept happening all from behind the scenes too. And the, the complete ignoring, like um, I, I don't know how to like she, she even there's times where she even lied about things entirely about us. And I'm pastoring a church and she's attending the church I'm pastoring while also living with the person she left my dad for. It's this really awkward scenario that you're like, I don't, know how to so finally i was like you you just need to go to a different church because i can't do this it's not a good it first off paul makes clear those who are in sexual fornication blah blah blah, not to even eat dinner with them but also it's like for the sake of the church and again um keeping that which could hurt the church out of the church and since the family gossip and stuff was coming in and i'm the pastor i'm like that's not good Mm -hmm. get the gossip out of here get that the the gossip from among throw them out from uh, among you well, then things just kept getting worse, and I don't know how to, like, I'll, I'll just, just say that. Things just got worse. And eventually, I had to stop talking with my mother. It was just like, Mom, I need space, and I need you to leave me alone. Well, then there would be times where she wouldn't respect our boundaries. She would just show up at church, right? And you remember those times mm-hmm. where I'd be like, oh, my word, I don't get it. Well, so I didn't talk to her for about two and a half years. Was that, two? that yeah. two and a half years? Just didn't have discourse. She'd send letters, but all the letters were again about her and what she's been through. And I'm like, okay, that's not. You're missing the point. You've you've alienated yourself from the entire family through all your hurt and your vile and your abuse. And keep in mind the child abuse. This is probably about a dozen kids have been abused under my under my mom, um, not sexually but physically. Well, yeah. I mean, there are some things that could have been considered that way, like ripping children out from showers and stuff just crazy stuff crazy stuff that you would not that you would not expect to see um then recently i knew that at some point i was like i gotta reconcile with my mom i don't want to because it's just much easier pretending that none of it ever happened and it's much easier to just keep living this way not communicating was saving myself a lot of drama mm-hmm. And it was saving me myself a lot from having to confront a lot of issues too But at the same time, you have to do it. And so finally, I scheduled an appointment with my mom. She She was an hour late because of, I think, some health issues that are going on now. And long story short, I had a long conversation with my mom that night, and I levied it all. I mean, I took all the dirty laundry, threw it out on the
1: table and it was just yeah. like no sugarcoat.
0: Yeah. No. Sh- I mean, it was, a. I mean, it was like a punch in the face. I mean, I wasn't screaming or yelling or being nasty. I was just like, look, this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And here's the giant elephant in the room that everyone wants to pretend doesn't exist, but it absolutely does exist. And it's hurting everyone's relationship. When I went there, I talked to my mom and we went over in aisle to her credit. She sat there quietly and listened to it all. And I was waiting for her to jump in. Cause that's totally her style. And I was waiting for her to make excuses. Cause that's totally her style. And she didn't. She just listened and listened. And then finally at the end, I was like, so that's it. And she goes, can I say something now? And I was like, absolutely. She starts, she just breaks down, starts Mm. bawling. She grabs my hand and she looks at me dead in the eye and says, I am so sorry for what I, I did to you and all the kids. And she's like, and there's nothing I can do to ever take that back, I know that. But no, I am so sorry and I think about it every day and I love you. And, you know, what's funny is that before that moment, you know, None of that repentance was ever there, even when I tried to talk to her about it before. It was almost like I had to cut ties. Again, first Timothy, for out of fear, and then once she realized what it was like when life was alienated and alone and none of her kids would talk to her, none of the family would talk to her, she realized all her mistakes. She almost had to suffer through that for a while before she could appreciate the olive branch of grace. And it was weird because I just remember it, like m- me and Ka- me and Callie struggled with it. You know that mm-hmm. Brian's my closest like one of my closest friends, so it's like he knows all, all my all my dirty laundry. It's actually weird me putting this out <laughs> in public to all of y'all. Hey guys, go have fun with the Will. Camera still on? <laughs> yeah, the camera's still on. Unfortunately, okay. But the thing is, is after we went through all that, you know, and then there's some other things with my mom that's going on. I think some health issues are happening, and it's like you know, it's a good thing I did reconcile now. Because I don't know what's going to happen in the future. So the point is people, when you sit, I, am trying I'm telling you this story. I'm pouring my heart out here to y'all. You to all you people, all you filthy, greedy people who probably want the tea. I'm telling you all this, not because it's like, Ooh, what was me? But to tell you the fact that I know what abuse is, I know what it's like to be hurt by people. I know what it's like to be taken advantage of by people. I know what it's like to be gaslit, abused, legalism, physical abuse, all of it. But if you don't allow for reconciliation for people, then you are telling them that they are dead in their sins and they have no hope. And that moment for my mom, I know was, and she texted me, she's texted me a few times back and forth. We've texted back and forth. Um, she hasn't even met my daughter yet, and we're hoping to set up a time here soon to make that happen because this is all very recent. Um, the thing is, is that if I did that, I'm telling her essentially, like I said, she's dead in her sins. She has no hope. But it was only that moment where she could appreciate grace to come back. And I am the only child so far that I know who's done this, but I know I have to practice what I preach. So the thing is, guys, says I get it. And it's not pretty. It's uncomfortable. It's scary. And we don't want to do it all the time. But we have to be willing to. And now that doesn't mean that they get to just walk around and do whatever they want because now we've reconciled. No. doesn't mean boundaries aren't there. But it does mean that you have to do something to allow for repentance and reconciliation because if not, that you are not showing true forgiveness. Because when God forgives us, he reconciles unto us. We can't say, I forgive you, but please don't ever talk to me or anyone ever again and go rot in hell. That's... Like, think about that. Nope, we're not helping you. Rot in hell, but I forgive you. <laughs> well, it's not forgiveness. God doesn't God doesn't have that attitude with us. He's not like, I forgive you, but like a fire. <laughs> thank God, literally, that he doesn't yeah, do that. Yeah, thank God. And it's when you understand that grace a little bit, it really changes your life. And I'm not saying this again to show myself as self-righteous. It's just something that I've learned over the years as someone who's been abused in every way, shape, and form,
1: that it's just not worth it. Just an example of... Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is usually not the most expedient way to go. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, serve our ego, which we want to serve. It doesn't help our pride. Um, being humble isn't easy. And uh, But again, also put yourself in the perspective of someone, if you wrong someone and you want that chance of repentance, um, boy, you really shouldn't be blocking that chance of repentance for someone else. So just think about it. It's I know it's a tough topic, guys. I know there's there's some major sins that we've talked about tonight that are really impossible to get over. And we're not asking you to get over it. If your child was abused. We're not saying to just forget it and just move on and and hope that they're just not their life isn't ruined. We're not saying that at all. We're saying try to at least work towards the same type of forgiveness that Christ afforded us.
0: Right. And again, that doesn't mean that there's not boundaries. That doesn't mean that you have to be buddy-buddy forever. But, you know, I think of those, there's so many testimonies of a mother whose son was murdered, right? She looks at her murder, the killer of her son in the eyes and gives him a big hug and says, I forgive you. It's like, whoa, if that doesn't show you the love of Christ, I don't know what does um, in fact, another quick story time. This is a long episode, guys, but I feel like it's worth it. It's not a long one. Uh, just a quick bullet point. A good friend of mine, one of my closest friends as a child, uh, her name was Rachel and she was murdered a few years ago. It was right before Brian met me, man. I was like, I went through a year where everyone died. Like I, I knew so many people that died terrible tragic deaths, my mother-in-law and other people. I was living at funerals. I felt like so much. So my friends were texting me going, man, I'm done being friends with you. Everyone, you know, dies. Um, but Rachel was tragically murdered by her ex-boyfriend at her place of work. She wa- he walked in, shot her like three times in the chest, and it was over. And then he killed himself. And I was asked to speak at her funeral, uh, and dude, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Like, you're looking at a family that you've known your entire life, whom you've loved and cherished, and they're seriously some of the most gracious, fun people you've ever met. And just the tragedy that came out of nowhere was just mind-numbing. And then, so you're looking at them. You're seeing the hurt and the pain of the. Uh, you know, you're seeing all the people. I, I mean, I connect, reconnect with people from high school that I haven't talked to in years. And, you know, mur- murder, by the way, is a tough. I mean, that is a murder suicide. I'm telling you right now, guys. You've not, if you've not been to a funeral of a murder suicide, you've don't know true loss <laughs> to a degree. Like it's another ball game. And the mother of. Rachel Rachel's mother she still calls the the mother and the family of the son who killed her daughter on birthdays on the anniversary of the killing and all that and she'll tell people yeah well you know I wish I could she's like you know I wish I could for you know have the opportunity to forgive him for what he did she's like but I have to remember that day I didn't just lose a daughter somebody else lost a son and it's Moments like that where you're like, that's... You know, she could easily hold bitterness toward that family. Like, you raised your son wrong. You did something horrible. It was because of you guys that he turned out this way. That's easy. That would be easy to do. And even justify. Him. Yeah, and even most people are like, yeah, you're right. You, you're you absolutely right. They suck. <laughs> but instead, she just shows grace and love and mercy. And I tell you what, that was, one, that was another thing that challenged me. Was like, shoot, somebody has murdered their kid. And they are showing that type of grace. So this is a really real show. Okay, so this is a... We're, we're usually the cheeky guys up here, just cracking jokes, firing off on all cylinders at people, uh, just doing our normal rebukes and having a good jolly old time. But this is real stuff, guys. This is where ministry, where grace meets the road, man, is in hard situations, tough situations. And then you have to ask yourself, how are you going to exemplify Christ? And how are you going to be an ambassador of reconciliation? So anyway, Will's tangents are done. I hope... I hope that was, I hope that can be encouraging. Maybe you're going through something and maybe, and I'm not saying go do it now. I'm not saying go reconcile to that person right now because you know what? They might, you might need time. I had to give my mom two and a half years before I was, I was ready to sit down and have that conversation. And it's not because I'm this horrible, sinful, terrible, no good, very bad person. It's because there's a lot of hurt there that had to be processed. And you also need them time to process the hurt that they caused. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to make someone feel the pain of what they've caused. But then an olive branch doesn't hurt. Now, I'm not saying, again, to throw your family into danger. Just be careful.
1: So True reconciliation is going to require both the person to be ready for, to repent and the person that was sinned against to be ready to forgive. Exactly. So
0: uh, otherwise, you just have, you'll have bitterness on one side and arrogance on another, and that does not breed well. Ooh, that's good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we've talked a lot about church-splitting topics, guys, and we talked a lot about you know, when you break fellowship and when you don't. And we thought it'd be good to have an episode to talk about when we come back to fellowship. And I think that really kind of rounds out some of the content that we've had. And I think, obviously, I think we're going to link to this a lot when we're talking with people. Um, And some of you might disagree with what we said tonight. And that's okay. Go ahead and put it in the comments. We'll talk with you. And
0: have a biblical reason for it, though. Because I'm just saying, if you don't have a biblical reason to do it, we aren't going to, we're just going <laughs> to mow you down with verses. So, Or uh, we'll just give this timestamp of the video and say you didn't watch all the way to the end. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, the biggest thing, guys, is making sure that we are trying to do things biblical, even when it's hard. It's easy to be the self-righteous person when you've never committed the sin. It's easy to stand up on your plateau and go, well, I would never do that. Yeah, well, guess what? There's sins that you've done that some people would never have done. That's not the point. But the point is, if you're reconciling, you will truly. If you're if you're repentant, you'll truly reconcile. And a lot of people say they're repentant and they're not. I, I understand that. Mm-hmm. Some people just say it just because it's the easiest way thing to do, um, which is why you have to keep check with the fruits and be very careful when someone's repenting after doing terrible sin. So, anyhow, another topic I'd like to tackle sometime is like the different sins. Uh, like, is, are all sins truly equal before God and are all sins the one and the same? <laughs> I can't wait to tackle that one because that's going to be, a uh, that'll be related to this. But anyway. Guys, if you haven't already, like and subscribe to the Church Split, or if you just hated everything we just said and you're an, and you know, you just want to be angry and bitter and you're a little angry, bitter world. <laughs> I'm just throwing shade now. And back to back, back to, to original, <laughs> back to the original program. Uh, uh, you know, guys, uh, if you and if you hate everything that we just said, thumbs down, unsubscribe from the channel, all that good stuff. Otherwise, guys. Thank you all for your love and support. And again, for all our faithful patrons, thank you for making this ministry a little bit easier for us to handle. So guys, thank you all. Take care and God bless.